0: Hey Designers! Today we are talking all about the Client Questionnaire. This is that oh-so-important document that you send your client after you've had a phone call but before you go into your first paid working session with them. It is such a valuable tool to get to know them, their story, their needs, their wants, all that good stuff. Kate and I are both sharing actual questions that we ask and why, and I'm hoping it'll be a great resource for you to help develop your own client questionnaire and really tweak it into something that works for you, your clients, and your business. Listen in. Today's episode is brought to you by the Badass Biz Bundle. If you're ready to start your business or you've just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Badass Biz Bundle is what I wish I had when I was starting out on my own. The business documents, aka biz docs, I didn't even know I needed, and a kick-ass mentor for biz talks to answer questions with practical, tactical advice that would help me quickly, confidently, and profitably, yeah, profitably, launch on my own. Learn more at com slash coaching.
1: Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design business, and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee with each other, and now you.
0: While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass
1: business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation.
0: And now this is episode 34, The Client Questionnaire, When to Send and What to Ask.
1: Good afternoon. We are recording on a Friday afternoon for the first time because hashtag life. Hashtag life gets in the way. You got it. (laughs) Yeah, we've been waiting to kick out all the people from my house so that we can have a quiet space to record. So thank you everybody <laughs> for going on with your day so that I could do this. Yeah. So today we are talking about the client questionnaire. And I don't know if you're anything like I was and probably continue to be to some degree, but I have played around with my questionnaire at nauseum at times, especially when I was first starting out, figuring out the right questions to ask, the right order, when to deliver it, and just making sure that I was asking Enough questions, but not wanting to overwhelm my client. And I think I have found myself almost to a point of paralysis. Like, is this the right thing to ask? Is this the right order? And it just it gets like we it doesn't need that level of thinking <laughs> and overthinking. So I'm finally at a place where I really love the questions that are on my questionnaire, the order that they're in. They've been really effective for me. Um, Leslie, I think you also have perfect questions to ask your clients, and they're. They're somewhat similar, somewhat different. And so I think today we're just hoping to share a little bit about what works for us and what we've tried and what didn't work and what is working now. And hopefully some of this can, you can take and tweak for yourself in your own business. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, before we go into specifics about what questions, I want to
0: talk about why we do client questionnaires. And my reason might be different from yours. And I'm curious to know what you find most beneficial about it, Kate. Well, so
1: this really hinges on when it's delivered. I used to ask my clients or potential clients, prospects, answer a series of questions right at that very first intake form. I now do it a little bit later. um, And so that way I'm able to ask a little bit more intimate questions. But it allows me to keep the focus because I know I'm going to get questions, excuse me, answers to these questions later. It allows me on that sales call, on that initial discovery call to be really focused and pointed in the intent, which is to gather information specifically about the project itself and making sure that that's the right fit and adding more in-depth questions later. Otherwise, that initial discovery call could wind up being quite long. And so in the back of my mind, I know I don't need to ask these other questions because should we move forward to a consultation, I'm going to give them the opportunity to to answer some of these other ones. So that's my reason to keep the the discovery call short. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good reason. I will tell you what I have found the
0: client questionnaire most beneficial for. So like Kate said, the questionnaire we're talking about today is not the initial intake form on your website where you're just gathering the basic data to have that first phone call. This is something that we use when a client has booked a paid session. And this is kind of the, the lead up the homework to start that a big reason why i do the questionnaire because it's a lot of stuff that we could talk about while we are in person at our first consultation session big reason why i do it in advance i have found this to be a really good litmus test at how committed a client is and how ready they are to actually do the work and start the design there have been times guys that i have booked a two-hour session with somebody and i send them all the stuff to do to get started and it's not a lot it's you know it's the questionnaire it's an invoice it's basic but i can tell you the people that don't bother to do the questionnaire rarely turn into good design clients if they can't even sit down for 20 minutes to really think through what they want they're probably not ready for a design project so absolutely i have you know the questions are carefully thought out i want to know their answers more importantly i want them to be in that headspace, thinking about their answers and actually showing me that they can commit to doing what they need to do on their end so that we can work together. I know, kind of sneaky, but it's been very interesting to see the clients who complete the questionnaire quickly, who really you can tell have put thought into it versus the ones that, you know, kind of phone it in or don't bother. And I remind clients, you know, if you don't have time for this, if basically I let them know this is optional, I'm not going to hold you to the fire to do the questionnaire, but if you do it in advance, that means I'm going to review it in advance and you're going to get We're going to get the most out of those two hours together because you've already put thought into it and I'm already up to speed.
1: Absolutely. I think that's really smart. And I think making sure that we're reminding clients. If I'm thinking about a homeowner who's not familiar with the process, I could see somebody asking like, well, why is she asking me to answer all these questions? Are we getting ready to have a consultation? As long as you're reminding them that the reason that we do this in advance is so that we can show up having a little bit more information about you. And that way we can make the most of our time together and we can... We're just kind of a step ahead of the game here because I know a little bit more about your family, your budget, and this, that, and the other. We're going to dive into that a little bit more while we're together, but at least we're not starting from ground zero. So I absolutely love that reasoning and it makes total sense to me. Yeah, it it works and it's interesting human psychology to see
0: who's actually going to do what you ask them to and what does that mean about them as a potential client. So don't overlook this for that purpose alone, but also you know, gathering information about the project is really useful too let's talk a little bit about like how, how do you deliver the questionnaire? Is this something that you do digitally? Do you mail them? Is it an email? What's your nuts and bolts of doing it? I kind of love the idea of doing snail mail. Just for-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I realize that's such a dumb question. Of course, neither of us are mailing. I you. don't do that. But um, I sort of romanticize a slower pace of life and they get this beautiful envelope with a wax seal and they open it up and they calligraphy their answers and mail them back to me. No. So we don't do it that so way is what I that. think Kate is saying. But I just, I, I, when you said that, I sort of uh, went off to another place in time and era and it was lovely for about. I will say, I just, I had an appointment just
0: this morning with a new doctor because obviously we've moved and, That's always fun to find all your new people. But they mailed me a physical copy of their intake paperwork. I was kind of thinking, I'm like, wouldn't that have... Couldn't you have just emailed me a link or so? I don't know. Anyway, I did get... It was not beautiful. It was not wax sealed, trust me. But I I was like, oh, "Oh, that's a letter (laughs) in the mail with papers for me. They're
1: making it easy for their non-millennial tech savvy people to just fill out their questionnaire when they have the time at home and bring their finished paperwork to their office.
0: Okay. So there's a good point. If you had a beautiful presentation, maybe sending a physical questionnaire is a good part of your business. For me, that shiz is in Google drive and it's a link and it's easy for me to get the answers, but is that how you do it? Something
1: online like that? Or is it like an emailed PDF or what's your deal? Ventual tell me it's embedded in Dubsado and so when they get their onboarding link um, it takes them to a series of pages and the first one they just approve the proposal second one they pay and then third I think they actually confirm the date of our consultation maybe not in that order but that's what they do and then once that's once they've paid signed and confirmed the date and time cuz we usually will verbally agree over the phone then once it's all sent then they get sent a link and they fill fill out the link automatically That's sexy. I like that. It is nice. It is nice, I will say. And so far, I've enjoyed Dubsado for the most part. I will also say that it has taken a lot of work to get these um, workflows. I know we talked about them at length a while back um, because I was just getting started with them and they have been great and I'm going to continue to use them. Um, I'm trying to make the most of it. So I'm trying to make it as automated as possible. And so once you get it set up, it's worth it, but it does take a lot of effort just to get all the components and pieces put together. Do you get a pretty good response
0: from questionnaires? Like people click through and they follow the steps and it's been pretty easy because I feel like this is something that you also have to make it a pretty low barrier to entry for clients and not let tech get in the way of just getting the answers you want and need to hear?
1: Yeah. I mean, none of the questions take too long to answer. I just, I make sure to remind them that, you know, this is not required, but they're going to get more out of our time together if they choose to spend 20 minutes, 10, 20 minutes to answer these questions. So I do, I get, I get good responses. Let's talk about the actual questions. Cause I have heard, you
0: know, keep it short, make it really long, ask this, don't ask this. Are there specific questions that you're using that have worked really well? Or do you have like, I don't know, are there, how how I just, I want to hear about, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen your questionnaire. So I'm curious to
1: know, like, if you have like topics or how you, what you need to know from people. Sure. Well, I think ours is pretty similar, but before we move on to that, I just want to mention quickly in that initial intake form, as I'll call it is different from the questionnaire for me. And I think for you, Leslie, that initial intake form, I used to have way more questions. And I think that's the tendency. So if you're just first starting out and you've got 20 questions, I think reducing that to no more than four or five is smart. It, Like Leslie said, it will reduce the barrier to entry. Maybe somebody wants to fill that out, but you know that they're reaching out to you when they're in this moment of having like a real pain point. They're really struggling. They're really ticked off about their house. They're frustrated. They're overwhelmed and they've had it. If you turn around and they find you and they want to work with you, but then you, they have to answer another like 10, 15 questions, you're very likely to lose a potentially great Client, because let's be honest, our best clients are the ones who are busy professionals and they need to hire somebody like you and are willing to pay for your services. So I reduced mine to four or five key questions. So obviously, ask for their name. I asked for the project address. I specifically say project address because I recognize that when I put your address, There are a lot of clients who come in and they've got an existing address, but that's not the project address. I'm interested in the project address, phone number and email, all their contact information. The only other questions I ask are one, tell me briefly about your project and why you reached out to us. And two, it's the magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand and you're on the other side of your project, how does it make you feel? I want to start to hone in on those emotional words and questions or feelings rather. And so that's where I do it. I used to, and this, you guys play around with this a bit. I I recommend to see how it works for you. I used to ask for their budget. I've stopped doing that. And the reason why is it would skew my perception of their ability to work with me or what their actual budget is. They don't know what their budget is at this point. They're just spitballing. <laughs> they're throwing numbers at the wall. And so if they're filling that out and then they give me like a low number, for me psychologically, I would go into that initial discovery call thinking like, oh my gosh, these guys are so cheap. They're not gonna spend money on me or this or their services or their furnishings or anything. Oftentimes I was either wrong or I was misled in what they were actually willing to spend. Maybe you know, it's just it's too soon to ask that question, in my opinion. So when I stopped asking that question, then I could just go into the discovery call open-minded about what their budget was. And oftentimes they would have budgets that they had in mind, but once they were, we went through the process and I showed them what it would actually take, then they would open their uh, minds and their pocketbooks to a bigger budget. So for me, it's not in that, it's in the questionnaire. I love that. That's a great point about
0: budget. I also used to have it in my intake form, you know, cute little check boxes, like what's your budget under 25,000, 25 to fifty? And without fail, people would check a box because they had to, and we'd get on the call and they would say, I just checked it because I had to check something, I don't know, or I, it could
1: be more, like, it was a useless question. How do you ask about the budget now in your questionnaire? I assume you ask for it in your questionnaire. That's a good question. I don't think it's in my questionnaire. I'm
0: looking right now. Oh, it's not, but let me tell you what I do. So on the initial consultation phone call, If it feels right. And there's some times where you know someone has no idea. And there's times where they're fleshing out a project and so it's good to ask. I kind of play it by ear and decide if and how to ask. But on the client questionnaire, I don't say, what's your budget? I have a question that says, which price point are you most comfortable with? Good, better, or best? And then I give a few realistic examples of furniture prices. So for example, good, a sofa might be 3,200. Better, a sofa is about $4,500. Best, sofa, $10,000. So I give them like three or four examples in the different price points. And I have found that is a really great guideline for me to get a sense of what their budget is, even if they don't have a number. Because there are some clients that will come to you and a $1,000 sofa is way past their comfort zone. Like they're used to IKEA furniture and to invest a grand on a sofa would be a big stretch. And there's some clients where you know, I I've heard words like you know if it's if it's above ten I'd have to really think about it but like and you know for them ten thousand dollars is quote reasonable, so I have found that guiding them with this is a lot more helpful for me instead of what's your budget it's what price point where, where's your happy zone and of course you know there might be some pieces when push comes to shove when we actually get the project. I might push them a bit further on some places and maybe we scale back others. Regardless, that I have found to be a better clarifying question about budget, knowing for me what kind of vendors to go to, what sort of level of customization or quality they're looking for, even if they don't give me a firm number. So I'll talk about budget, but I I always say investment, by the way, that's kind of sales 101 when you're talking about money. What are you prepared to invest in this project? Do you have an investment planned? How much is is the investment you're planning to make in this project? I'll I'll find some way to word it, but good, better, best with quick examples are Really, really helpful to me. I love that approach. Thank you. It I don't remember where I, someone told me about it. It's good. Everything I do, probably like you, Kate, we've all we've all heard from someone else and gleaned it from somewhere.
1: And, you cherry picking. Exactly. Yeah. No, I have a. see, I and I have a similar exercise that I will do at the consultation, but that's not something I've ever done in, in the phone call. I do ask in the phone call towards the end that question, how, what do you plan to invest? And then I will, you know, if they're pretty vague on it, I'll say, that's fine. I I don't expect you to have it all figured out just yet, but I do want you to put some thought into it and you'll have the chance to hone in on that again at the questionnaire and then we'll revisit it at the consultation. So the biggest mistake I've recognized is not addressing it at all. Yes. Let's talk a little bit more about the questionnaire and the other types of questions that we ask. I do... Start with asking about the home. I want to know specifically things like what year was it built, what style is it, uh, how many square feet. Um, I put a little note there that reminds them like if you don't have the exact number, that's fine, just ballpark it. Same for the year, but I really want to get a sense of the context, and I can do that with Google Maps, right? But I also just want to have that documented because this questionnaire will eventually go into their binder. And it's nice to have all that information in one spot. I tell them when they are answering the questionnaire before they start, like we may have already addressed a couple of these questions, but if you don't mind, just go ahead and put them in here for this for that very reason that it's all going to go into our binder. Um, and it's nice to have all this information together. So for the home, I want to know the style, the square footage, the year. I don't ask about bedrooms or baths. That, that's not really A benefit to me, but I think that's the extent of it. And then obviously I get into questions like, what are your biggest pain points and that sort of thing?
0: I never thought to ask about the style or size of the home. That is just like, duh, Leslie. But that's really good for context to understand what you're working with. And you're right, with you know, with Google Maps and everything, maybe it's not as necessary anymore, but I think that's so smart to keep it all in one place. A few things I asked before I even started.
1: Well, about- to be clear, that was because I was coming from Denver, and in Denver, I could have a Tudor, I could have a Victorian, I could have a Foursquare, I could have <laughs> Mid-Century Modern. And I know they are living in the South. That's very much something that you'll run into. We don't see that as much living here in Central Texas, but at least in in this part in this neck of the woods <laughs> um which is fine but it they are um there are it is still helpful a couple of questions
0: i have on the very first page besides you know basic contact info i also ask for the contact info of their partner or spouse i get that up front because that's really important to me to have all the partners looped in from day 1 Ooh. and then i do ask for their birthday just month and day it's so funny how many people will put a year or like put their age i'm like oh, i'm not yeah. trying to pry i but- do have these
1: kind of I have these kind of questions okay. at the end, but
0: yeah. And a couple of questions I have on the first page is How long have you lived in your home and how long do you plan to live there? And are there any anticipated changes in the next five years, like relocation, babies, college, or retirement? I think those are so important to know up front because you can be meeting with a client and suddenly they spring on you that they're planning to move in two years. And you're thinking, oh, that kind of changes everything <laughs> about how we're going to do this. And then I also ask about their kids and any the age of their kids and any special needs or requirements they might have. Usually there's nothing, but I think it's just really thoughtful to ask about kids and pets and their whole family and their whole family situation before you even get into how much do you want to spend?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I have. Yeah. That's all in my next section. I thought we were just talking about the house itself.
0: I do like, well, I guess the, we do it in different orders, right? So you talk about the house first and then the people I kind of do the family first and then the,
1: it's as long as it's all in there. Yeah, I do. And that's funny. I do have the money at the end too. I like the way you ask about their future plans. I ask mine a little bit differently, but it's, a yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look at yours too. Cause I think that's interesting. My, I doesn't, I don't ask about future plans for kids, but I ask about What does it say? It says, What are your long-term goals for your home? And then they have again option to choose. Maybe I should give them an other option, but either they can pick forever home, resell eventually, resell one to five years. I'm flipping is another option. But looking back at it, I think that there needs to be an option for we're not sure or (laughs) or other and then give them the chance to expand on that. Like, oh, my mother, my aging mother might move in with us in a few years. And so I could definitely like you've done maybe open that up to expanding a little bit more. And I guess I do that at the very end where I'm like, if there's anything you'd like to elaborate on from up above, please do. So I like that. Yeah. So then the family questions, I also include, I like asking them about the contact information for the rest of the family or the like the dis- key ma- decision makers rather. Yeah. That has come in handy. <laughs> I bet. No, Because I know some of the <laughs> stories you've shared with me. And- oh, Lord
0: have mercy. Guys, get get everybody all the decision makers need to be involved from day one
1: <laughs> don't do what leslie did and learn this the very hard way well but i think it's hard people don't but families are different and people make it hard and we're working with a client right now like we literally did the site survey we were there for two or three hours her husband was in the is in his office with the door closed i didn't meet him at the consultation he was there he never came out to meet us <laughs> And she swears up one side and down the other that this is her money and her thing and he has his money and he is not a decision maker. And I'm like, okay, well, then then you can't say that now. And that changed on the line, just so you know. (laughs) So but yeah, I think that's a good approach to at least make your best attempt to involve all decision makers to the best of your ability. That way you can kind of prevent those sort of situations from coming up. I do like to ask for pets and their names. People love their pets. And if you walk in the door and you say, oh, you must be Sparky, your client is going to be like, oh my gosh, she knows my dog's name. And so I think, because I can never remember these no this stuff, names. This stuff so, makes you look good. <laughs> I'm, often, I'm often with my binder. I'm, just, I'm like with my binder right before I walk in for the consultation. I'm like, all right, what are the kids' names? What are the pets' names? is the husband all these all these sort of things I can't I can't be expected to remember it that's a big part of why I do it I love it yeah it's a cheat
0: sheet for their family it makes you look like you care and I don't mean that in a bad way like you don't care but like you were saying it's hard to remember every child's name and yeah yeah it's basically
1: a data file that's true any other family stuff you ask or people related stuff Yeah. And I don't know if you get into this in a different section, but mine's kind of lumped into this section about you or your family. Um, so I ask them to tell them I ask them to tell me about their self and their household members. I ask them um more historical questions, like where did you grow up and did that have any influence on you? I've had a number of clients who grew up overseas and that really influences kind of their cultural place at home or just like growing up on the east coast versus the west coast or in the south you know i i want to know where people have grown up i ask them about any significant travel that they've enjoyed and has that travel influenced them i find that travel is a very big influencer for people and they want to bring those memories back home with them and so this is a chance for them to share that experience and it also can be a conversation starter the next time you see them they oftentimes will have very special mementos Um, from their travels. And if you can find a way to help them make that special, or at least show them that you remember that and that you recognize that it's special to them, they really appreciate that. I do ask that. And then I ask, these are more like lifestyle questions. Do you enjoy entertaining? And if you do, what style? Some people are more casual entertainers. Some are more, they want like a sit down formal meal. Others want super casual kid friendly. How frequently are they large or small groups? Both. Knowing what their entertaining style is is important to helping them figure out the function of the home. I also ask about any activities or hobbies. I have had lots of clients who struggle with gear and keeping all of their hobby gear organized and put together. And so I think through that with them, people who are big cooks and chefs and wine collectors, those are all things that are going to be really important to helping me problem solve their, their interior functional problems. And then the last one is just, that. I think you mentioned this a second ago, any special needs? I remind them that I'm asking, so the question is, do you have any special needs that you would like to share? And then I have a side note that says, please note your response is 100% confidential. Um, I've worked with families and individuals with a wide range of physical, emotional, and mental conditions. And I believe wholeheartedly that design can help with many special needs. So I almost always get a response to that question, even if it's No, we don't, but we really appreciate you asking this question. (laughs) So I think that's an important one too. And that's it for the family questions. I love that question. Your family section is
0: so much deeper and more thoughtful than mine. Mine is very like surface. Who are the people?
1: What are their names? Give me the details. I like that you go deep. Uh, Well, I mean, I know I hear you asking some of these same questions. These are just the questions for me that I find might be hard for some people to talk about in person, but they're willing to write about it. Giving them the chance to be just a little bit vulnerable with you before they actually meet you, um, I think elicits just some initial moments of trust. And, you know, does this mean I'm going to walk in the door and we're going to be best friends? No. Um, and they don't have to answer any of these questions, but I think that it can help paint the picture of who it is I'm working with before I even walk in the door. So we're just another step ahead.
0: I have to ask, how long is your questionnaire? How many pages? Well, it's just one
1: page.
0: It's, really? Well, it's, oh, but it's but like, is there online. space for answers? Like the questions are on one page and then they would add answers to it so it would get longer? I'm like, you sound like you have a long questionnaire. It's
1: not on a page. It's just like- it's just, oh, that's right. Because you're using Dubsara. Yeah. So it's just the uh, scrolling, yeah. And then I and then I wrap up with budget and logistics and some other like questions, which I'm happy to share.
0: Yeah, I would love to know cuz the, the kind of the second page of m- mine's two pages with spaces for answers cuz I'd used Google Docs for mine. But page 1 is kind of family and background, page 2 starts to talk about the the project, the house, design styles. So I'd like to know what kind of questions you have on on that part of yours and what else you have? Cause you have yours very broken down by section, which I think is
1: very good. Yeah. So the sections are, the first section is um like contact information. Second is about your home. Third is uh, about your family and lifestyle. Third, uh, fourth, I forget what number one <laughs> is budget and logistics. I've worked with a number of clients that are in condos and high rises. And so the logistics or in the mountains. So the logistics around that can be something that you want to build into your you know, proposal because that just takes longer. A lot of those questions about home will answer that for me. Like if I know they live in a condo, then that's a big deal. If I know that they live in a house that where they have an HOA or you know any other sort of like design protected area, then that's in that area. Um, but I asked for budget. My, budget, <laughs> I will tell you that my budget. I do have. I don't know if I can't remember if it's a drop down menu or if they just pick one, but. Basically it says my project my budget for this project is less than fifty thousand, between fifty and a hundred, one to two hundred, and then two hundred plus, which makes it super broad. <laughs> and that's Yeah, but that's good because people don't know within five thousand dollars what they're gonna spend. No.
0: No. I think I got too specific when I was asking those questions back in the day.
1: My fr- yeah, no my first questionnaire and uh, and I understand this too, but my first, you know, first time I started asking for budgets. It was like, is it between it's 2 and 5,000 or I I did the same thing. I'm like, what kind of information is that? I get it. And those are the types of budgets that I was working with. And we all start somewhere. And this isn't in any way to poo-poo or to diminish the client's budgets that you're working with. It's wherever you are. But I would urge you to, if you are asking this question and you do have a series of options to try to stretch yourself a little bit there and maybe raise or broaden what those categories are. Because otherwise I think it just skews your answers. People really don't know. And and there is there is a psychological effect of if they pick that box and then you present to them, you know, something that's outside of that number, even though you're giving them their wish list, they're gonna come back to you and be like, didn't I click that box that said two to five thousand? And you're gonna have to explain yourself. So I, I think making those budget those budget or investment categories really broad is probably the best, the best way to approach it. And I think if you're just getting started, a great starting point is you know under 10,000 you know um 10 to 40 or 10 to 50 50 to 100 100 or or more you know i you know your clients you you do what works best for for you is if you're listening to this but i don't want somebody to feel like especially if they're just starting out that they need to be trying to get clients with quarter million dollar budgets if you are awesome you're crushing it Um, if you're not then figure out your ideal client and kind of where you think they are and then work your way out of that a little bit more, like push your push your budgetary estimates even higher outside of
0: your comfort zone. I do love the idea of keeping them kind of broad. I think that's a good takeaway from this is overly, I tried to be overly specific and it just confused the crap out of People, they're like,
1: I don't know which box to check. I know. And I don't even, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, as designers, we don't even like talking about money. It's dumb. We just wanted all the pretty things. <laughs> and no homeowner's wish list ever matches their budget. Yeah. And just to put a button on that is that if you, I guess, you run the risk of you put too low of budget numbers. If you have somebody who comes to your website and they like you and they like your services and they like what they're seeing, and then they go to answer this question and you have these super low budget ranges, then they may feel like they're not working with the right designer that understands a higher you know how to how to run a project with a bigger budget. So that's why I say I would encourage you to stretch yourself in terms of what your comfort level is of where you think your ideal client might be. Um, and then just the last question is have you worked? No, oh my gosh, I forgot I have more questions. <laughs> I guess it's three pages when you look at it on a PDF. I have it right here. So I ask, have you worked with an interior designer before and how was the experience? That's a s- good, good question. It is so telling. They do have to pick one. Uh, it's a required answer and they can choose no or yes. And the experience was great. Yes. And the experience was mediocre. Yes. And my experience was bad. <laughs> if their experience was bad or mediocre, I want to find more information out about what what made that bad for them? I think that is such
0: a smart question to ask because I can tell you in my experience, every time I have found out that a client has worked with another designer or decorator or whomever does something similar, and it wasn't a great experience. You know, I, i've I've heard I've heard some stuff, but I can tell you, it's not the designer. <laughs> like once you get to know that client, I've had a few of them. I shouldn't say never in my experience. I have found that it's not always the designer
1: that has been difficult. (laughs) We talked about this in our red flags episode. We should make a note of, we'll leave it in the show notes of what episode that was, but we talked about red flags and if someone has perpetual bad experiences with designers, then yes. Um, But I think we just said, like, approach it with curiosity. Um, There are bad designers out there. I walked into a woman's house and she had hired a designer, and I'm using my air quotes here. She got a bunk bed that wouldn't fit in the room that covered her closet door so she could no longer go into the closet. So only her three-year-old could go into the closet to climb under this like bunk bed situation. It was ridiculous. Not to mention there was a ceiling fan right above this bunk bed. It was just like, let's count the way. So yes, if they had a bad experience, that doesn't mean they're a potentially bad client. It just means that you need to get curious. That is a good point. I, I will say, I think with my past clients,
0: they had been through a couple designers.
1: If they're like ser- serial, 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 des- serial design, <laughs> hires. Uh, yeah, I guess so. So the other question I ask is when it comes to making decisions, they have a choice of I'm quick and confident. I'm fairly quick, but sometimes I can guess myself. Um, I need a little time to make decisions or I'm very slow to make decisions. <laughs> That's such a thoughtful question to ask. I want to acknowledge that people are making big investments and they they do need time to let things simmer and feel right and feel good. But if someone answers, I'm very slow to make decisions, we're going to need to have a conversation about that because we don't work on projects indefinitely. The quick and confident one, I think, has its own sort of red flags. You know, I want to make sure that clients are going to read through the specs and they're going to ask questions about the products that we're proposing that they're going to pay attention and not just go on blind faith that you know everything's going to work out and then they realize oh i just bought a leather couch and leather shows wear and tear <laughs> it's like you need them to be somewhat engaged and invested so i like that sweet spot of the the other two that Shows me that they're the type of people that are going to make thoughtful decisions. I like that. I have a similar question. I, I I would
0: consider adding that specific one, but what I ask is on a scale of one to ten, how adventurous do you consider yourself? Oh, I love that. I want to know. You know, are we? Is this going to be difficult to convince you to do a large scale wallpaper, or are you like, bring it on? I'm ready for a change. <laughs> and a lot of times, I have found, thankfully that my client will also put an answer down for a spouse. So it's good to know like the client might be a nine, but my husband's a four. I'm like, okay, so you you sort of, you get a sense of how you have to handle proposals and decision-making and things like that to know if they're feeling adventurous or if they're a little more cautious.
1: You bring up a good point. As I was reading this questionnaire, I was reminded, or excuse me, that last question. I was reminded of the fact that I do, I did recently have... (laughs) It's it's a lake house on an island, and it's a family home. And there, needless to say, are a lot of stakeholders, and they all have different opinions. And there was, but at least the key, the two key decision makers. I didn't have a place in my questionnaire. Um, maybe one spouse is one way, and the other spouse is another way. So I don't really leave room for that. So that might be something that I should improve on on this questionnaire. But also to your point about asking how adventurous you are, I see the similarities. I wouldn't change that question because that's very specific to the Leslie Meyer brand. I see the I see the connection, but I would not change that question because you don't want to work with somebody that's a snooze fest because that's not Leslie Meyer. Yeah,
0: and I think that question often answers for me their decision making abilities because I find which can be different from like making decisions. Exactly. Yeah, I also ask about colors. I like to know what colors they love and if there's any they really dislike. Um, I ask them to link any inspiration images or design ideas. So Pinterest boards, house idea books. I think that stuff's always nice to see. And the last question I ask is just very open-ended. Is there anything else you'd like us to know? And that's, I might consider rewording it because I loved how you had your question about special needs. And kind of what I'm getting at is like, what's the real meat here? Like what's the really important stuff to this project that I maybe haven't addressed? And I think there's probably a better way I could word that. But I do leave an opportunity at the end for them to kind of chime in. Often they'll say, you know, we, I have a client right now who she and her husband love Britain and they love the Union Jack. They're obsessed with Harry Potter, like they've got, and they really want that as part of their home. That was kind of an opportunity for them to chime in. I don't know if everybody would be so forthcoming without a more specific prompt. So I I bet there's a better way I could write it, but I do think it's nice to leave a spot just for anything else you need to share with us.
1: I asked the exact same question. The only difference is it says or elaborate on, which is- Oh, I like that. You know, an elaboration from previous questions because I do do sort of, there are a few open-ended questions, but the majority of them are
0: pick one of these. I noticed that yours is a lot more of a multiple choice format. Mine are all short answer.
1: That's because when you work with me, it is going to be- (laughs) most to multiple choice. I like it. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know what, now that I'm looking at this at the bottom, it has my agreement. And so they actually have to ask this questionnaire before they pay. I forgot that was the order that I put it in.
0: Interesting. Tell me why you
1: do that. Cause I don't even send them this until they've paid. I don't go through the trouble of setting it up. Well, see, and that's where Dubsado comes in is so then it comes to an agreement It says it has my cancellation policy, which is like two lines. And then it says, I understand prepayment is required for the booking. They check. Yes. I understand due to the nature of services, refunds will not be granted. Yes. I understand this is only a consultation and neither KBID or you are obligated beyond this consultation. Yes, and then the last one is: I understand this is going to be a fun and engaging design session. High fives! Let's do this. I love that. What a nice way to bring personality to it. Ending on a high note because I'm just asking them to like say like Yes, I am so excited. I just filled out this questionnaire. I'm on board. Here's my money. We're gonna meet. Let's do this. But and I, yeah, and I and maybe I forgot earlier, but I that I suppose that my thinking was: it is sort of a litmus test of how invested are you in this? If you can't answer this questionnaire, then bye, Felicia. <laughs> Mom is getting old and cranky.
0: Oh, I can look at these questionnaires and if it's if it's half done, if it's if they didn't even bother, I feel like that says so much about who they are, their commitment level, what they're ready for. And it doesn't mean I won't work with them. It just means proceed with caution. Like they're, they're kind of showing true colors already that may help guide you with either the type of design package to propose to them beyond the consultation, or if you even decide you wanna work with them beyond that. It's not the deciding factor, but let me tell you, it's an interesting read into people. It's a good way to get to know some of their character before you even spend time with them in person.
1: Yeah, you know what? Nine times out of 10, I'll get these answers back. And I'm like, you know what? This person is not an ideal client from X or Y standpoint, but I really like their answers and what they're going for. There's a ton of personality here. They want to be pushed. Maybe they don't have like a million dollar budget, but they're willing to let us do our creative work. They're excited to work with us, you know, all these other things. And for me, it helps get me excited. And that is most of the time. Then there's other times where I'm just like, what in the heck are they, what does that even mean? (laughs) And, uh, so, you know, it, it is a good way to get just a sneak peek of who it is you're dealing with. I wonder, so this is a side rant and I know we have to get going here, but one of my clients, there's a daughter involved and then some parents involved in it. Yeah, not, not, not my thing. I hope this doesn't get out. If they're listening, that would be awkward. But anyway, we, I was given the Enneagram of her parents prior to working with them. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I love the Enneagram. I know, Leslie, you're on the fence about it. Myers-Briggs. I, I, <laughs> okay, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down that hole, but, um, I would love if somebody knew their Enneagram number, to what's your Enneagram number them. because you <laughs> to, know people are gonna can I get know your this Enneagram now, number and your strengths finder results and can I get your Myers fragrance <laughs> which I know you're a fan of. It's not I don't know anything. I, yeah, I believe I'm but a but I, I just don't think that would go over well.
0: That's all I know. I think I'm a one wing two question mark. There you go. That's the extent
1: of my Enneagram. Oh, come on. i I this is such an arrogant thing to say but I'm like isn't it obvious I'm a seven exactly I think we shouldn't. I know. I don't
0: think we should. <laughs> no, I actually, that'd be fun to talk about different personality assessments because their Enneagram is just one that didn't really resonate with me, but there are others where I'm like, oh yeah,
1: that's, that's me in a nutshell. Then there's going to be people that get the question and they're like, what the F is the Enneagram? <laughs> I think we should have a whole episode on the Enneagram. Hmm. <laughs>
0: Okay, that was a lovely tangent. One day we'll talk about personality tests and I will moan and groan
1: about Enneagram, but we'll do it because it's kind of fun. Well, and see the Myers-Briggs doesn't, rec- re- bleh, doesn't resonate with me. Mama can't talk after noon on a f- Friday, you guys, because it always changes for me where Enneagram is really consistent. But for a lot of people, that's exactly why they like the Myers-Briggs. So any final
0: thoughts about client questionnaires, whether or not to include asking for Enneagram number? I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: Uh, No, I just think the overall takeaway is put together your initial questionnaire and then run it by a couple of people and get them to look at it with fresh perspective and a fresh set of eyes. Because we were actually just talking about this before we got on the podcast today that so much of our writing, it's, it comes out as almost word vomit. And then if we don't take a time, take the opportunity to edit and revise and refine and make sure that our questions are coming across succinctly and clearly and that our intent is coming through, you want to make sure that clients understand the intent behind your questions. If it just seems like this blind probe into their personal life, then it could really turn people off. And so setting the expectation from the beginning of, here's why this questionnaire is important. Feel free to leave any questions unanswered that you're uncomfortable with. Make sure that they know your your heart's in the right place and that interior design is a personal experience. It's very personal. And that if they're not willing to share the answers to some of these, at least that, you know, maybe this isn't a great service for them, but I mean, you don't want to say it in those exact words, but you need to have somebody that's willing to share with you some things. I mean, I have worked with clients who've had a wide range of mental and physical conditions. I've had people in wheelchairs. I've had Highly sensitive personalities. I have had vegan. I've had people with multiple chemical sensitivities. I've had clients with extreme depression and anxiety, and really hoping that changing their home will help alleviate some of that for them. And not to say that this questionnaire is all about that and that everybody has the same experiences, but at least giving someone the opportunity to share that with you in a safe place, I think can set the tone for the rest of the project.
0: I love that. And I would say one thing I've learned about the questionnaire is every time I've skipped it as part of my intake process. So say maybe the appointment got booked quicker than expected, or I don't know, it just didn't seem necessary because it was a quote, like small project or something. I've always regretted it because I feel like this just opens the door to knowing the client, getting a better sense of who they are, And when you go to that first meeting already knowing something about them, I think it's much faster to authentically connect with them and help them feel known and understood versus kind of like, okay, tell me about yourself. So I would just encourage you guys, don't skip this as part of your process, even if it feels a little cumbersome or maybe unnecessary. Every time I have, I've definitely regretted it.
1: I couldn't agree more. I definitely have Done the same thing. There have been times where I've skipped it and regretted it. So, um, I think that's a good lesson, Leslie. Thanks, girl. All right, awesome. All right, everybody, go freshen up your questionnaire, give it a good scrub, ask a friend to review it, and get your get their feedback. Don't make it too long. Don't make it too short.
0: <laughs> no pressure, though, guys. It's
1: cool. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ask all the right questions. No, just all I'm saying is put some put some good thought into it. Yeah. All right. See you next week, guys. Bye.
0: Bye. Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you.
1: We love to hear your feedback. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.